0: have always been okay with being alone. That's probably a strange way to start two days after Valentine's Day, but uh, it's the truth. I think maybe half of the people in this room kind of understand or can understand where I'm coming from on that idea. I am okay with being alone. I enjoy going on walks alone. I enjoy going on drives alone. I enjoy reading books alone. Um, I enjoy going on retreats. And getting extended times with God alone. Uh, I enjoy playing games alone. Sometimes I enjoy playing games designed for multiple players alone. So, and I know there might be some of you in this room who think, oh, that's kind of sad, which is why I really don't share it all that often. But I'm good with it. I'm okay with being alone, I'm not okay with being lonely. I'm not okay with having no one uh, that I can talk to. I'm not okay with having to do everything on my own. I'm not okay with uh, not having someone that I can count on for help, even though I know that it's really hard for me to ask for help anyways. I'm okay with being alone, but I'm not okay with being lonely. That idea used to be a bit confusing, Uh, mixing the two together not understanding the distinction between the two. But once I was able to get to the point in my life where I was able to discern the difference between those two, it has changed my life and has made all the difference in the world. I want to welcome you to Awaken Church this morning. (coughs) As we're in the second part of a series uh, on relationships, entitled Relationship Rules, and it's going to be the sermon that's kind of the sticky one in the middle, <coughs> you know, the middle one between the introduction, next week we're going to go into dating and courtship, and this is just kind of the sticky one that's in between. And the reason, well, not only the reason, the way we're going to go through this series on relationship, on relationships is going to hopefully be in a way that you guys haven't necessarily experienced before, because our church is going to be spending four weeks going through the series on relationships, looking at relationships through the lens of singleness, which is important because I think most churches, when we talk about this idea of relationships, we do so making marriage the end goal. And not only do I believe that's an incomplete picture, but I think it's a false one. It creates this false narrative that I don't believe. The church should be endorsing, and I certainly don't necessarily believe Scripture endorses, and that's what we're going to take some time to unwrap a bit today. Instead, what we believe is that both singleness and marriage play a role. They're going to be a bit different. They're going to be distinct, and they each play a role that functions to reveal God and build godly character. In other words, in each of these stages, God is doing something with us. And that something is not the same thing in both. And yet they're both important. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about and going through is this idea that in this season of singleness, God is wanting you to build a foundation that will secure your future relationally. The character you build, the decisions you make in your singleness will form the foundation of everything else. So if you are single and in here today, then you don't have to hide in the background on this relationship series. Instead, you're going to sit front and center. And if you're married, you don't have to fade into the background either. You can choose to sit there, but I hope you don't. Instead, what I hope you do, for those of you who are already married, is that you learn the lesson that we're going to weave through this series. You learn this truth, maybe, is a better way that is very important to grasp as we work through this series for you and the truth that I hope you married folks will meditate on over the course of this series and we're going to talk about over the course of this series is that maybe the reason why many of you are struggling in marriage today is because you didn't deal with the issues you needed to deal with in your singleness in other words Many of the struggles that you are facing in marriage today happen because you didn't deal with them in your season of singleness. You never got them resolved. And you brought them into marriage, and somehow you imagined that simply being married would cause them to just disappear or go away, and they haven't. And now you're forced to confront them, and it's a little harder now than it would have been if you were single. But it's not too late. For those of you who were here last week, you also know that this series is going to be an Awaken Q&A series. And what that means, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, is during this time, we want to, or we have certain series over the course of the year that are designed to be interactive, designed to be uh, engaging, where we're all participants. And that's what our Awaken Q&A series does. And so during the course of the teaching, if I share anything that prompts a question, provokes a comment, or warrants a thought, that you want to share, I want you to go ahead and text them to awakenqna@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And after our teaching time, we'll take uh, a number of minutes just walking through them and tackling them and engaging with one another. If you don't forget what that is, it's going to be on every slide Awakenqna@gmail.com. at gmail.com. So with that, we're going to dive in. And I want to start where I started alone is not lonely. Alone is not. Lonely. They're related ideas, but they are not the same. As I shared last week, uh, God created Adam alone in the garden, according to Genesis 2. That wasn't, as we talked about last week, a mistake. Sometimes we might infer that it was because later on God says that it is not good for man to be alone. And so what we talked about last week is we said I, we have to w- accept one of two crazy options. One is that God made a mistake. He didn't realize when he created Adam alone that it is not good for man to be alone. And of course, that's stupid and ridiculous. Or we accept that God created Adam alone and he didn't create Adam and Eve together at the same time for a specific reason. There were things that God wanted to instill in Adam while he was alone to prepare him for relationship. And if that is true for Adam, then there's, Probably a lot of truth in that for us as well. And so this is what we went through last week. We talked about the things that God built. So if you read the passage in Genesis 2, between God breathing life into Adam and then God giving Adam Eve, there's only about 10 verses in there, and yet in those 10 verses, God gives Adam. Number one his place, basically teaching him where you are right now matters, Where you are right now, there are things I want you to learn and I want you to grow in. And I want you to see that and claim it while you are here in this place. God shared his provision that God is the one who is going to provide all that you need. And you should always look to him first. When you flip that and look to a spouse or a partner for that, you will inevitably end up frustrated Your purpose, singleness, is when you need to learn that your reason for being cannot be tied to marriage. And if you don't learn this lesson in singleness, men, you will make it nearly impossible for your wife to trust and follow you confidently. And women, if you don't grasp your purpose and reason for being in your season of singleness, then you are going to frustrate your husband and children because you will have expectations of them that they were never designed to bear. And finally, God gave Adam boundaries, and he gives us boundaries as well. Learn in singleness how to self-limit in order to experience the fullness of God's love and freedom for you. If you choose to be unrestrained in your singleness, then you will struggle profoundly in marriage. We live in a world today that where there is so much unfaithfulness, there's so much divorce and abuse and wickedness in the world today simply because Young women and young men haven't been taught how to value setting right boundaries in their lives and how to self-limit in their season of singleness. Don't listen to the world. Not if you want a type of relationship that God promises you can have. Don't settle for less. Place, provision, purpose, and boundaries. That's where we went last week. Place provision, purpose, and boundaries, all before relationship. This is what God revealed to Adam in the garden, and we believe that God wants to instill in us during our season of singleness. Miss it, and you will pay the price. Embrace it, and you will reap tremendous blessing. Alone is not lonely. So that's where we're going to go today. Before we do, I want to tackle what these ideas mean, because they are related but distinct. Alone is uh, means to be considered as separate from others, right? So alone means that when you consider me alone, it's not in reference to anything else. That's what alone means—that I that, uh, that that I am considered separate and distinct. Loneliness is that uh, sense of or emotion of bleakness and sadness that comes from feeling cut off and might come from feeling alone so the distinction between the two is being alone is a state of being right i am alone there is a truth in a sense that is inherent in that idea loneliness is not a state of being loneliness is an emotion and an easy way to draw this distinction is most of us can understand the idea that it is possible to feel lonely even in the midst of a crowd right so Technically, our state of being is we are not alone, and yet we still feel the feelings of what it feels like to be alone. Right, the loneliness. Loneliness is an emotion not necessarily tied to that truth. Aloneness is a state of being that says I must, I am distinct, separate from others. It's an important distinction to make because if we don't understand the difference between the two, alone and lonely, we can misunderstand what God did when God gave Adam Eve. Because before Eve, Adam was alone, right? And unbeknownst to him, Adam was also incomplete. But the reason why Adam was incomplete was not because he was lonely. So I said he was alone. I mean that he had no other that was his type in the world. Obviously, God was with him. God was walking with him. He had the animals. I mean, I don't know how much they helped, but they were around too. Adam was alone, but he wasn't necessarily lonely. I mean, I can't imagine how you could possibly be lonely when you're walking with God. So let's take that off table. Adam was alone. He did not have another of his type, but he was not lonely. But he was incomplete in some way. And this is how the Bible describes it uh, in Genesis chapter 1, this dynamic verses 26 and 27. Um, it says, then God saying, let us make human beings in our image to being like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God gave Adam, Eve, Because without her, humans weren't completing the image of God. Do you notice how in the very first chapter of the Bible, how God refers to himself? How does he refer to himself? He doesn't refer to himself as I. He doesn't refer to himself as me. He refers to himself as us. In other words, from the very beginning, God existed in relationship. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what God did with Adam, he's like, I must put Adam, I'm putting Adam in relationship because that's how I exist. And so if the purpose of humans (coughs) is to reflect the image of God, then relationship has to be an essential part of that image bearing. So this represents the longing that God has put in us, that humans have been created inherently, with a desire for relationship. Not necessarily marriage, but meaningful, purposeful, and fruitful relationship. Now we're going to take the time to unpack why I'm drawing a distinction between those. So, uh, told you last week i was going to try to be cool, so here's my attempt. Uh, so, we entitled this teaching this morning, Curved, Pocketed, and Benched. If, uh, if you're not in the midst of the modern dating world, maybe those terms don't make any sense to you, and it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'll define what they mean. So uh, they're modern dating terms, this idea curved, pocketed, and benched. I'll tell you what those words mean, and then I'll tell you how they tie to the teaching this morning. So curved is uh, when you reject someone, uh, when uh, getting rejected or getting shut down. Um, so in a great example of this would be, and I put a little picture up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coming back, please. I really, So here's what it feels like to be curved as an example. So I text someone. I'm like, hey, I had a wonderful time last night. And uh, it's it was great hanging out with you. When do you want to touch base again? And you get nothing. And you notice that they're actually tweeting. And they tweeted a few, you know, 10, 20, 30 different times. They're posting things on Instagram. But they're not responding to you. You've just been curved. Right? So that's what curved means. Uh, pocketed. Pocketed is when someone you're in a relationship with, you guys are enjoying that time together, but they never really introduce you to their friends, and they don't really introduce you to their family, right? Their little extended circle, it's kind of like, no, 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 it's just the two of us, and I don't want to get you into that part of my life. If that's the case, if that's how you feel, that you're with someone, and they, you two of you enjoy spending time together, but he never introduces you to your friends, or your relationships or other relationships that it has, you have just been pocketed. And then benched. Benched is, you know what, I enjoy seeing you, but maybe not enough to lock you down. So I'd love to hang out with you if there isn't something more important that I want to do or someone else I would rather see right now. When that happens, you have been benched. Curved, pocketed, and benched. You know what these three dating terms have in common? What's in common with each of these three? In each of these cases, you are not the preferred option. Curved, pocketed, or benched, what they have in common is in each one, you are not the preferred option. That kind of sucks, doesn't it? To not be the preferred option. I kinda know what that feels like. Uh, I've got a lot of experience with knowing what it feels like to not be the preferred option. I was a military brat, so every three years or so, I'd be moving to a new school, having to start over and make new friends, which wasn't easy for me anyway, because I like to be alone and I am shy. So that really sucks. Um, So by the time I actually made friends, it was time to move and start all over again, and that was my life growing up. And so oftentimes, I'd go to a new school I'd go out, and I'd want to play with the other guys at recess, and I'd always end up being the last one picked, or maybe one of the second ones picked, or second one, second to last ones picked, which was very frustrating for me, because I knew I could outrun and outplay most of them out there anyway, but that was my reality. I I remember what it's like to not have anyone to sit with for lunch, to kind of have your food, to wander around the tables and find a quiet place to sit. Uh, For me, my solution was I always brought a book with me, so I could sit down, and I could read a book, uh, which... Yeah. Um, I remember what it was like to be called names. I remember what it felt like to never fit in with the cool group or even the not so cool group or to not fit in with any group at all. Uh, know what that feels like. Um, I spent a good part of my life being in that non-preferred group. And so if you have two, then maybe you can echo with me. Being in that not preferred group sucks. You know who in the church? oftentimes ends up in that not preferred group, singles. Uh, That's like, and the idea that can often come across, even though we don't intend for that to happen in the church, is that there's something wrong with you if you aren't married, or there's something wrong with you if you were once married but aren't married anymore. Singles throughout the church, I'm not talking about awake, and I'm just saying throughout the church— Singles, you know what it feels like to get curved by the church, right? Because what it feels like to be made to feel not as important and that your needs and your concerns are not as important as the needs and concerns of couples and families. They tend to come first and they get to preferred status in church. Singles in church know what it feels like to be pocketed, right? You remember those friendships that you had when you were single? What happened when they started dating? And what happened when they started getting married and they started hanging out with this whole new circle of friends and relationships, and you were left on the outside looking in? That's right. You've just been pocketed. And singles oftentimes in the church know what it feels like to be benched, that, oh, yeah, we want to hang out with you single folks, but sometimes, man, I've got something more important going on. I've got some other people that I need to hang out with, but I'll get to you when I get a chance, because I still want to hang out, because you're still important to me, even though I'm not making you feel very important right now. Singles know what that feels like, too. And I don't want to make any inferences here. I think some of this, uh, I don't want to make judgments. That's not the goal for this morning to say what's good, what's bad, what's wrong. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily the goal. Uh, and also the goal isn't to decide and make a declaration that one state is better than the other. But to look, the goal of this, and the reason why I'm sharing this is because the goal of this series has been to look at relationships through the lens of singleness. And if you're not able to see relationships through the lens of singleness during the course of this series, then you're missing out on the point. And this is how singleness Marriage is often in the church, broadly as a whole, and even in this one, right? Marriage is often the state, uh, is often what's given preferred status in the church. But what if that's wrong? What if that's not the way God designed it? What if what Christians should be chasing relationally is not marriage? What if it's not? What would that mean? So here's my fun little question for the day. You guys probably know I like to do this now. Here's my question. If marriage is the preferred status, that means the most important relationship we have and the one we should all be pursuing, then why is it temporary? Right? If marriage is preferred status, the relationship that all of us should be chasing down, holding up as ideal, then why is it temporary? If you didn't know it was temporary, I'll point you to Luke chapter 20. This is what Jesus says about marriage. Jesus remind you, you know, God, son of God. He says, marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead, that means those worthy of going to spend eternity with Jesus, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So what Jesus is saying is that marriage is simply for earth time. It won't have any value and won't exist in the kingdom, in heaven. Why not? Well, one of the reasons can be found in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says uh, in verse 31, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And biblically, what this passage is teaching is that one of the purposes of marriage, maybe even one of the primary purposes of marriage, is to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. Christ Jesus loves the church like a godly husband is supposed to love his wife. And then, in turn, the way a Christian man loves his wife is designed to give the world picture, an illustration of how completely and how perfectly Christ loves the church. That is a difficult truth for many marriages to accept because the implication is that, well, if that is true, then the primary, then what that means is that the primary reason for getting married is not for my fulfillment. but to give the world a picture of God's love and relationship with us. And here's how that affects us, for those of you who are married, is what that means is then in your marriage, the most important question for you to ask is not how fulfilled am I in marriage, but how well are we reflecting Christ's? What that practically means is that in marriage, the most important question I ask, I should be asking, is not how fulfilled am I in this marriage, but how am I reflecting Christ's love? That changes a lot, doesn't it? Because oftentimes the reasons why we head towards destructive paths in marriage, head towards divorce, head towards separation, even fight and argue, is built around the wrong question. It's built around the idea that I'm not feeling fulfilled, I'm not feeling satisfied, so there's something wrong, something wrong with you, right, is oftentimes how it comes about. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not to say it's a bad question, but that is not the most important one. Ask the more important one and see how it reorients how you think about and how you engage in marriage. So if we can accept this, right, this idea that the primary reason for marriage existing is to reveal Christ's relationship with the church, then maybe it starts to make sense why there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Because when Jesus returns and sets everything right, there's no longer a need for a symbolic illustration when the real deal is there, right? Or the real deal is here. Jesus won't need husbands to be stand-ins any longer. Instead, what Jesus does, he gives us this glimpse into the kingdom and a place where intimacy, where uh, in this place where intimacy would have most often been found in marriage, is now going to be an everyday reality for those who are his kids. The kingdom of God is going to be a place where we can all trust one another completely without fear of betrayal. The kingdom of God will be a place where the intimacy that we experience today most commonly in marriage will be held by all. In other words, we'll have that same intimate relationship that right now we have with our spouse. That's going to be characteristic of the relationship we have with everyone. I know that seems crazy, doesn't it? Because heaven is a place where we can trust one another without fear or betrayal. Kingdom of God is a place where we can feel free to share because everyone in heaven will be a skilled listener and will actually be interested in what you have to say, no matter how long you say it right? The kingdom of God will be a place where there's no secrets because there's nothing to hide. Sin is an impossibility in heaven, right? That is the distinction between the kingdom fully present and what we live in today. That is not the world we live in today, by the way, no surprise. Today in this world, A godly marriage is the closest we get to seeing what heaven will someday be like relationally. That is what marriage does. It it, uh, reflects on a relationship level Christ's love for the church. Singleness, on the other hand, illustrates our devotion to Christ. So marriage is a picture of Christ's love for us. Singleness is a reflection of our devotion towards him. This is what Paul shares in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are Divided, that's what we shared a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Priscilla and Aquila, right? That if you are married, your interests are no longer single-mindedly towards God. It is divided, and that's the way it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just simply the truth of marriage. That is what marriage does. It divides your attention. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit. Not to place and this, this thing I'm saying to you is your benefit, is you guys might want to consider living single and being single. He's saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, guys, gals, ladies, men, when you are single, this is your opportunity to learn what single-minded devotion to God looks like. This is the time in your life when you discover... What God wants from you, how to honor him, and how to live out fruitfully and faithfully. This is that time. If you don't learn it now, what is it that you are going to bring into marriage? You will be distracted. And maybe even led away. Paul says, that, again, he's not decrying marriage, he's not putting down marriage, he's not saying marriage is awful, he's just saying, look, from my perspective, if the goal of this life, realizing that times are hard and time is short, what would I encourage you to do? I would encourage you to focus on your relationship with God first, and be as focused and devoted and give as much of yourself to that as possible. If that's what I believe, Paul is saying, right, then of course I'm going to encourage you to be single because then you're not going to be distracted. But if you choose to be married, that's okay. Marriage has another purpose as well, right, to illustrate God's love for us. But just understand there's a price you pay. You are going to be distracted. And Paul is saying the way this works is if I know what it's like to be single-mindedly devoted to God and I bring that into marriage, that enters into marriage as a strength and builds our family on a foundation of Christ. If I don't learn this in my singleness, I bring a hot mess into marriage and a waffling commitment that will eventually become a waffling marriage built on an unstable foundation. This is why it's important. This is why your season of singleness is so important. Learn what God has for you in this time. And if you don't learn, then you shouldn't be surprised when you're in the middle of marriage and you're struggling with trusting God and you're struggling with obeying God. In a few moments, we're going to tackle our Q&A time, and I'm excited about tackling that with you all. So go ahead and text your questions, comments, and thoughts to AwakenQ&A at gmail.com. And in just a couple minutes, we're going to tackle them. And while you're texting those questions, comments, or thoughts, I want to close out with this final thought and uh, final idea, right? I know I just threw a lot at you. This is kind of that squishy teaching, like I said, the squishy teaching between the intro and the idea of dating and then even uh, the breaking of relationships is how we're going to close out. Um, and I hope what I've been clear on during the course this morning is that I don't believe either singleness or marriage should have preferred status. I think biblically, that's, I can probably, that's pretty probably pretty justifiable, right? That neither singleness is a state nor marriage is a state necessarily should have preferred. Status because they each serve a different spiritual purpose. Marriage is given to illustrate Christ's love for the church, how much to show the world how much Jesus loves us. And someday, when Jesus returns for the church, marriage will no longer be necessary to provide that illustration because we will experience the full reality of it through Jesus. Perfect intimacy with all in the kingdom. That's what we have to look forward to. Singleness is that time given to demonstrate our full, our full, undevoted devotion towards Christ. That will change, you know, uh, at some point, temporarily for those who get married, but will revert in the kingdom. Make the most of your time of singleness. That is the point I want you to draw out. Build great friendships. Cultivate a strong relationship with Jesus. And don't allow your obsession with sex to derail this season of your life. We're going to talk a bit more of that next week and the week after, but it probably shouldn't come as any surprise that it is our desire for, even times our lust for sex, that is the biggest obstacle to godly singleness. And don't worry, that has nothing to do with you and this time that we're growing up in. That was true in the days of the early church as well. When Paul wrote to Corinth, if you read in 1 Corinthians seven, book ended around this exhortation of singleness and marriage, is this idea that, guys, you're writing to me about how sexually immoral everyone is, and good night. How crazy. And if you can't exercise self-control, then sure, marriage is an option, because what marriage does, it provides boundaries within that which that passion can be contained. But the better route is to learn self-control. That was what Paul had to challenge the Corinthian church about, and it's a challenge that many of us face today. I just want to illustrate that because oftentimes the greatest obstacle to us living godly single lives is sex. The desire for it, the want for it, the desire, not just sex, but the intimacy that comes with sex. And Paul tells us that not only is, are we sabotaging ourselves, but Satan uses that. As a way to tempt and to derail us as well, don't fall for it. We'll tackle that again more next week and the week after. But just wanted to open that up for you today. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and tackle some Q and A. scan that really fast, but if Adam and Eve had a fight, would it be considered the first world war? (laughs) Yeah. Dang, that is actually pretty brilliant. Yes, yes. And we all know who won, right? Eve took that boy down. Easy. (laughs) All right, Uh, as a single... Why am I not able to pull this up? Is it me? Oh, sweet. As a single, how should we tell our friends in a relationship that we feel curved, pocketed, or benched, even if they're doing it by accident or for valid reasons? Oh, man. All right, let's move on. Um. <laughs> uh, nicely. Nicely would be good. That's always a good place to start. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, relationships are going to be different. I'd say if it's a close friend and you guys are able to ha- sit down and have a conversation, I think part of it is being able to, one, acknowledge that, yeah, there are things that are different in your life, and I want to believe the best of you. I want to believe the best in the sense that you're trying to adjust And you're not trying to shut me out because you don't like me anymore or you're just tired of me. or You still value our friendship. That being said, I don't always feel, I haven't been feeling as valued. And I was wondering what might be the best way for us to move forward where we can still value and keep our friendship, but still acknowledge that some things have changed. What would be the best way for us to go about doing that, right? I think that's probably how I'd start that conversation. So I'd say it's something like that. If you missed it, it's on the recording. You can check it back out later. But does that make sense? To be able to say, you know what, I want this, I value this friendship, and I want to continue it, but I also want to acknowledge that things have changed a bit. So what's the best way for us to figure out a way to move forward together? Because this is important to me. So, cool. Uh, Wow, there are, dang, that one's not, oh, here it is. Wow, there are so many mind-blown mic drop moments in this explanation of scripture you just gave thanks for teaching God's Word with accuracy and passion you're welcome I'm excited thanks so much cool all right Um, singleness is a place where God can test our commitment to him he can find out if our focus is on him because he is the center of our joy or if it is because we have no other options amen right I think that's the point of singleness is like look if my relationship with God is hindered or damaged some, in some way, shape, or form, it's like there's no one else to blame. It's either God's problem, or it's either God or me, and let's be honest, it's not God, right? So it's me, right? So what is it that I need to figure out, and how do we get this, this uh, our relationship back on track, Lord, right? There's, there's no interruptions, there's no distractions, whereas in marriage, it can be like, yeah, things aren't going well, but honestly, God, I just don't have time. I've got so many other things now. I've got to please my husband. We find reasons to not deal with it. And that's what marriage does. It ends up kind of, it can oftentimes function to derail us. Singleness just makes it cleaner. And that's, that's one of the benefits of singleness. So I appreciate you sharing that. I get that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church, but how does this apply to divorce? that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church. But how does this apply to divorce? Man, that's a great question. If I'm understanding you right, so you're basically saying that, man, if marriage is designed to be this illustration to the world of how much Jesus loves us, then what does divorce say, right? Um, I think divorce then becomes another part of of illustrating the reality of living in a damaged world that. Uh, Even in in our world today, despite best intentions, despite what we know is right, despite God's heart and God's desire, relationships get broken. Not only between husband and wife, but between friends and between brothers and sisters, between parents and children. And worst of all, there are even broken relationships, people who have made commitments, lifelong eternal commitment to Jesus, and have chosen to walk away from that commitment too. That's not something God is excited about. That's not something that pleases God, but it is part of the reality of the world that we live in, and we should be broken about it, not run to embrace it. And I think divorce is that declaration as well, that here I am, I've chosen to make a lifelong, eternal commitment with another person, and then I've gone ahead and broken that vow. What does that say? And then yet to understand in the midst of that, I don't need to stay here. Repentance is possible. It is possible to get back up. Do so, right? That this is the grace, this is the the beauty of this relationship that we have with Jesus. That no matter what we've done, if we turn to him, we will find a God with arms outstretched ready to restore us. It doesn't mean there's no price. It doesn't mean we escape consequences. It just means that God has not rejected us fully. How do we bring integrity into a relationship if you have failed and struggled with it in the past? How do you bring integrity into a relationship if you have failed and struggled with it in the past? Wow. It is hard. But one decision, one choice at a time. Was it saying the Book of Proverbs that uh, a brother, brother betrayed is harder won than a walled city. Uh, you know, when you betray someone, when you hurt someone, uh, it is difficult to win their trust back, and it's supposed to be. You win it back one decision at a time, one act of faith at a time, one reason to trust me at a time. Um, I don't know any other way around it. I think all the more so you have to be careful that uh, if I have broken in this area of integrity in my closest relationship, I cannot break it again. Not if I want that trust to be restored, right? Um, And then don't break it again. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, That's your decision. That's your choice. You don't break trust again. Uh, What if you feel lonely while in a relationship? Lonely when it comes to friends and distrust. What if you feel lonely in a relationship? Gosh, that's so good. You know, I'll say this first. I think in every relationship, in every close relationship and meaningful relationship, there's going to be times when we feel maybe a bit alone or disconnected. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong or unusual about that, that even in marriage, uh, even in our relationship with our parents, uh, in the closest relationship, brother or sister, in the closest relationships we have, sometimes we can, feel, we can be with them physically and not really connected, and feel like I'm disconnected and I don't know how to bridge that gap. That's, that does happen, right? If it is a consistent state, so I'll just say the first one is, that does happen, I think that can be worked through with a conversation and openness. If it's an ongoing issue, like I am consistently feeling lonely in my relationship with uh, friends, when it comes to friends in distress, um, then I think there is some unearthing that needs to happen, right? That uh, in some way, I have needs that aren't being met and or I have expectations that aren't being fulfilled. And in both cases, I think the first step to take is to let the other person know and say, hey, just out of curiosity, are you aware that I have needs and I have expectations that aren't being met? You don't say it that way, of course. You start a lot nicer, and then you burn them. I'm just kidding. So you start off a little nicer, and then you start off with just saying, hey, you know what? This has been the weirdest feeling for me. Like, I know I love you. I know you love me. And yet, I feel like we're not connected. And sometimes I'm feeling like even when we're together, I'm I'm not really with you. Have you felt that way too? That's a great place to start, right? And if they say, yeah, it's like, all right, yeah, it's weird, right? Let's figure out how to work through this because sometimes when I feel like I'm talking to you, your eyes glaze. Is that me or you? You know, and that's just a good conversation. If they're like, no, I don't feel that way at all, then you're like, all right, See you later. No, I'm kidding. Then you just kind of say, all right, well, that's how, how I feel. And here's some of the ways that I've, I've felt that way. When I have conversations with you, I feel like the first minute, you're great. And then by minute two, you're looking around distracted like I, I don't hold your attention anymore. Can I just ask, what is it, me? Am I boring? Am I, am I saying things that you've heard a million times? Like, Do you know how I'm saying? You just kind of dive into that conversation that way. So hopefully that helped. Oh my goodness gracious, I need to start wrapping up. So uh, if being single is to learn what God has for us or refine ourselves, how come some people get to be married? If being single is to learn what God has for us or refine ourselves, how come some people get to be married? And some people who really want to be in relationships are still single. I feel like the church makes it seem like once you have yourself together, you can't. you'll get married. That can't be right. How come some people get to have marriage and others don't? Being single. Okay, so this is a layered question, I, but I appreciate you asking it. So, okay. What I'm hearing, what, what I'm understanding when I read this question is, uh, if you're asking it, I'm assuming you want marriage. This is a pursuit of yours that you desire to be in a marriage relationship. And you're tired of hearing that, well, being single is good for me because there's things God wants me to learn in this season. And I've been trying, but God's still not giving me what I want. So what is the problem? Why is there a disconnect here? Because you're making it sound like once you get self-actualized, God's going to give you a partner. And I'm like, that's not exactly what I'm saying. But, um, but I get how that can be coming across. I think what I'm trying to communicate is that... Uh, one of the things that, that uh, Solomon shares in the book of Ecclesiastes is there, there's a time for everything, right? A time to plant, a time to reap, a time to sow, a time for life, a time for death. There's a time for everything, and I think, uh, and I shared this before in a teaching a long time ago. That uh, well, here, let's go at it that way then. In the uh, in the scriptures, there are or in the in the New Testament, there are two words you generally use for time. One's Chronos, which is the the issue of what time. Is it, right? Like, so right now it's 11.45. It means I got to stop. So that's chronos. What time is it? And then the other word that the scriptures often use for time is kairos. What is this time for? I think that's probably the best way I want to answer your question is to say that um, we struggle with the first part, right? We're we're struggling to say that is God telling me that the time for my life right now is I'm supposed to be single? Because I resent that. I'm frustrated at that. that And I'm like, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying that while you are single, for whatever reason you are single, what this time is for is devoting yourself to God. That's what this time is for. I don't know how long you're going to be here. I don't know how short you're going to be here. Honestly, that's, that's a bit more layered than we, what we went through today, right? We can have that discussion if you want. The point I'm trying to make is from today is recognize that in this season this is what I am to do. In marriage season, what is this time for? My time as a married person is to make sure that my marriage is reflecting Christ's love for us. And if it does, I will experience the blessings of marriage that God wants me to have. If I don't, there's always going to be something that feels wrong. So that's what I guess the intent would be. So my response to your question is not, the issue is not how mature you get if you've one in the areas of feeling like I've learned all the things that God wants me to to—that's not the point. The point is, what is this time for? And that's what this time is for. How long you will be in it? Um, what's keeping you in it when you don't want to be? I think those are questions that this morning was not designed to answer. But we could go there if you want. We can just talk, you and I, afterwards, or someone else that you feel comfortable with. Um, is that good? All right, let me wrap up with prayer, and then we will have Larry come up for announcements. Next week, uh, we're going to hit the dating courting challenge. So, uh, yeah. Woo, woo Lord, thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for the joy and privilege of being able to share with my brothers and sisters, and uh, the joy and blessing of being a part of this community, and to be able to interact, to be able to engage, and talk about challenging things, to talk about difficult things in a way that honors and pleases you, that reflects your heart and passion, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we've done that today lord thank you for your goodness thank you for your grace and again just reiterate just god if there is if we missed everything else i pray that we would not miss you that your presence would be powerful and moving that you would stir our hearts to stir our souls you put in our minds the things that you want us to walk away with to the things you want us to inherit and to to uh um to grow in god and and uh lord that Your spirit is what accomplishes these things, not my words or anything else that we do. Lord, we love you so much, and just pray that you would remind us over and over and over and over and over again that to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest command, and that we would not neglect that command in favor of something else. In Jesus' name.